kids are dismissed from ages 3 to 3rd grade if they wish to do so or if their parents wish for them to do so. And would you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25? If you have a bulletin, I'd invite you to take the back of your bulletin. It has the outline of today's sermon for you to take notes or to follow along more helpfully. We have a long passage that we're going to look at. We're going to go through it pretty quickly, but it is an it is the passage that we come across as we're going through 1 Samuel, and it happens to be about a woman. It's a woman, and we are here at Mother's Day, and I, I hope that and trust that God will make this really appropriate for a day like this. God, open your, your word to us and open our eyes. God, hear the words and prayers and praises of your congregation through Gus and through Wes. And the songs that we lifted up. Make us a singing, praying, and listening to your word people. And open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the providence of God? It's God, almighty and ever-present power in the nitty-gritties of our lives. It is, what does it benefit us? It is his patience. It makes us, it should make us patient in adversity and thankful in all things, and confident that God is for us and working, and not one of us can move our hands apart from His will. I remember the night I met my wife of almost 17 years, Molly. I, I fell in love with her that night. It wasn't love at first sight, since I had seen her before, maybe a few weeks earlier at an event, but talking, talking to her that evening sealed the deal for me, that is. It was August 2000, and I, had, I, could, I still have the piece of paper and the email. I have it, like, right in here. It's like I have the email address and phone number that she gave me. I laminate it and keep it in my... I'm, I'm, I'm nostalgic romantic when it comes down to that. I could tell you more about that evening and the months to come but it, it doesn't compare to the way a couple ended up meeting, who ended up marrying one another, that takes place in this story. Their first encounter pretty much matches any great story you could come up with. There's so much to this story, way beyond entertainment value. The Lord God ordained that the prophet would put together 44 verses in this chapter. Now, the chapters were divided much later, but to put this section all together and devote a lot of verses to this unique and interesting story that I'm going to share with you this morning. You see, David had been promised of the Lord, that's Yahweh, God is Yahweh, Lord, His name is Yahweh, that He would be the next king, but He's on the run because Saul, His father-in-law, who his, his wife was actually taken away from him and actually given to another man. Eventually, we find that out. But David's on the run. He's without his family. He's with 600 men who are also on the run. And God has said, David, you're going to be king. But David has to wait. And in chapter 24, the chapter before this, God, in a sense, tests David. And David is on the run from Saul, and he comes to a cave, and Saul is in that cave, and Saul is, it says that Saul is relieving himself. Not sure what that means, but we might know what that means. 
And 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 David snuck up near him, and his soldier said, Aha, David, we can kill him. All your problems are solved. You'll be king. He's been trying to kill you. It's just self-defense. And David takes, took a sword, and he cut the edge of Saul's, he was that close, the edge of Saul's robe, and his heart was pierced, and he was convicted, and he said, I cannot strike my, the, the Lord's anointed, even if he's trying to kill me, it's not my place to take vengeance. And he pulled back, and he honored the Lord with great self-control and trust in God. That is the context that rolls us into chapter 25. In chapter 25, the chapter we're in this morning, you can divide it up. I'm dividing it up into four sections. You have it on your notes here. The story, you have an introduction, one through three, the crisis of the story. Any good story has a great crisis, and then you need to solve that crisis. Then there's intervention, and then there's a resolution. And so let's look at those quickly. I'm going to read this passage, make comments, and then just apply to these characters. And as we go through these stories, we're going to hear some pretty round characters, some pretty vivid imagery of these three main characters that you're going to see in the story. There's Nabal, there's Abigail, his wife, and, of course, King David. So let's look at the introduction. Chapter 25, verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. That's his mentor spiritual leader in Israel, and they buried him in the house at Ramah. And David rose up and he went into the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal. So get that in your mind. Nabal is character one. And he's very rich. And the name of his wife was Abigail. So, Nabal and Abigail. The woman was discerning. She, she, was, she was wise and beautiful. But the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. That's, that's the introduction. It sets the characters. David's in the wilderness. It's shearing time. This badly behaved, harsh, rich man named Nabal, and a beautiful, wise woman matched up with Nabal named Abigail. Let's look at the next section, crisis. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, and so David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Would you go up to Carmel? And go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. This is what you're supposed to say. Now, send these men, go to Nabal and say, Peace be to you, Nabal, and peace be to your house, and peace to all that you have. I hear that you have ears. Now, your shepherds have been with us, and we did no harm to them. They missed nothing. All the time they were in Carmel, ask your young men, and they'll tell you, Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we've come on a feast day. Please, would you give whatever you have in your hand to your, to your servants, to your son David? When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. Okay, here's what's going on. David has his, 
David and his 600 merry men, they're in the wilderness. And they're good men. They're not, they, they are not brutal soldiers. They are constrained soldiers. And they're out in this wilderness. And as was custom, there's these shepherds out there. And David said, hey, no bandits are going to touch those shepherds. We're going to protect them. We're going to take care of them. And they did. And for a long period of time, they made sure that these shepherds were protected. And David finally says, hey, ten men, go down, say to Nabal, hey, can we have a little gratuity for our services? It's just, it was part of the manner. It was part of the custom. A little gratuity for helping you out. I know that wasn't a formal arrangement. This was not a protection racket. He wasn't going, hey, give me some of your, you know, he wasn't making this up. This was the custom, and it was right. Okay, what's, what's Nabal's response? They waited. And Nabal answered David's servant, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? And by the way, he knew who he was, because Abigail fully knows. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat and have killed for my tears and give it to men who have come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and he told all of this. So what's David's response to now? Basically, David asked for a tip. And the person that received the benefit, the services said, give a tip to you fool? You just waste it. You're an idiot. So what is David going to do? So David's young men returned. And David, in verse 13, said to him, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. He wasn't going there to have a nice conversation. He was going for blood. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. David wants makes an oath to God. This is a stupid, stupid oath. In David's road rage, he got he got rammed off the side of the road by this Nabal, per se, and he decides, not only am I going to think bad thoughts about him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run him down off the road, I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to, if he falls out of his truck, I'm going to run over him and run over him and run over him, because he says in this story that if he makes a vow to God, God, may you do to me if I don't kill every male in his household. That's godly David. That's godly David. Verse 14. So there was a man, one of the young men, told Abigail, Nabal's wife. Behold, David sent messengers out to the wilderness to greet our master, and that master railed on them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything that we, when we were in the field, as long as we went with them. They were like a wall to us, both by night and by day, and all the while we were with them, keeping the peace. Now, therefore, know this. Consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot even speak to him. This is what's happening. 
David's been with these shepherds for all this time. So those shepherds know David's men. One of them was sitting there and heard David say, strap on the swords, we're going. And he went, I better go tell them. And he said, I better not go tell Nabal. He won't listen. I know the way he is. And he went to David and he said, David, he did to David, he went to Nabal's wife and said, Abigail, they did confess us. They were threatening us. But now he's angry. And Nabal just insulted. What are we going to do? Here's the intervention. Verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five peas. Listen. And already prepared the five peas and parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them in donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that his fellow had in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed at all he had belonged to him. I did did this for nothing. He returned evil for good, so I'm going to get him back. May God do to my enemies more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. David's grumbling, David's angry, David's vengeful. And beautiful and wise, Abigail makes a plan, sends people ahead with food, and she comes riding in. Verse 23 are the first words between Abigail and David. Spoiler alert, Abigail and David get married. This is their first encounter. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. She's referring to herself as her servant. And then in the next section, she beautifully calls out, says, Let not my Lord regard this fellow, worthless fellow, his name is Nabal, my husband, for as his name is, so is he. Most of you don't know Hebrew. I'm not good at it. The word Nabal means in Hebrew, fool. Don't know what his parents were thinking. But they got it right. It is a God's providence. Nabal is his name and folly is his game. Or not really. It says folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord Now then, this is what Abigail says, My Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, David, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to to my Lord be as Nabal. She knows Nabal is doomed. She doesn't, I don't know how she knows that, but she says, David, oh, because I'm here and I'm 
didn't restrain you from doing this to Mabel. Let his guilt be on me. And I'm protecting you so you don't go after him. And may any of your enemies actually be like my husband. Be cursed like my husband. And now let this present that your servant, he gives him the food, be to you. Please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord, Yahweh, will certainly make my Lord a sure house. He reminds David of the promises of God. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. He's saying, you, David, are fighting God's battles, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. God is going to protect you, David. Why would you do this? And when the Lord, Yahweh, has done to my Lord, David, Abigail, this is Abigail speaking, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, then my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pain of conscience for having shed blood without cause, but for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember my servant, your servant, what a woman. What an intervention. What faith and what courage and what tact and what care and what wisdom. Abigail meets David. I mean, and David stops. I mean, David's coming down with anger. He's got 400 men, 200 are with the baggage, 400 with swords riding down to kill Nabal. And he sees maybe this, these a bunch of oxen or a bunch of donkeys with food and a beautiful woman with a crock pot. And he goes, I'm stopping. What's going on here? But but there was something much deeper and bigger going on. This woman stops him and she says, May may the guilt be on me. And she says, Hey David, you have treated us great. We've treated you bad, my my husband has treated you bad. He is he's a fool. Sad to say it. But you've been honorable and God has blessed you. And don't forget God is your protector. Why would you do this in your own strength? God is your protector. Yahweh promises to take care of you. Yahweh promises to defend you. Why would you do this? And by the way, I am preventing you from blood guilt and slaughtering this tribe of people, including my husband. And I'm doing that. And... That will protect you because you're going to be king someday. Why would you want to enter the throne with guilt on your conscience and pangs of grief of conscience for having shed blood without cause? So how's David going to respond? I think we can guess how David responds. He didn't just rush her aside. How do you respond when you're angry and someone intercedes or intervenes? Sometimes we say, just be quiet, you don't know what I'm doing. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to me. She, she thanks God. Because David knows God sent him. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt, from working salvation with my own hand, for as surely 
the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, see that morning there has not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received the gift, said, go in peace to your house. Verse 36, Abigail then comes and she reports to her husband. Husband, I've got to tell you what's... Oh, he's drunk. He's feasting. And he's had this big party like a king, and he was very drunk, it says in verse 36. So she told him nothing while he's drunk until the morning light. And in the morning, when the wine had run out, Nabal, his wife, told him these things. And it says his heart died within him, and he became as a stone, just a stroke. And about ten days, days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Interestingly enough, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal. Now that sounds so not very kind, to say the least. But for David, it is God, he insulted me in a pretty serious way. I think it's more, God, thank you that I did not lay my hands on him. Oh, I would have been full of guilt, but you, God, intercede and you protected me. Thank you, God. He was an evil man. He's got his comeuppance. But, oh, God, thank you for having mercy. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, and they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and he bowed her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaiden is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. She said, Yes. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. What a story. What an ending. We didn't really see this story coming in the life of David. David's on the run. David's growing in faith. David's having his ups and downs. He's having trouble. And God is at work in his life. He had a major spiritual victory in chapter 24. And the fact that he did not, he showed restraint. He didn't take vengeance on Saul, but instead passed on him. And here he comes. He's minding his own business. Then he cares for these other shepherds. And then he asks for a tip. He flies off the handle, and he's going to kill Nabal and his whole family, all the males. So what's going on in this story? I hope we see by looking at the characters what's going on. I see in this big three, the three human characters we see here is Nabal. What did you think of Nabal? Nabal means fool. We see in the Bible, fool is just an insult. When his wife said, you're a fool, he was a fool, refers to that his name, she wasn't insulting him and saying he was just stupid or he's an idiot. She was saying, she's referring to, I think, the biblical idea of fool is, the psalmist says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool acts as though God is not real. He might believe God is real, but he does not act like it with his attitude and actions. In fact, Nabal was a fool. He was godless. His god was his belly and his drink, and he was struck down. He was selfish, and he was blind. He was blind to any good sense. He was married to a gem, 
and he was the victim in that marriage. Sad to just say, there are so often marriages like that. There might be marriages, and there are marriages like this, even probably in this church, where there's a godly, virtuous woman and a, a husband that is far too much like Nabal. He may not manifest all his ways like Nabal, but at the very heart, God is not at the center or anywhere near any prominence in his life. He had heard the truth about God, surely. Because his wife knows all about it. And his wife, when she actually meets David, rehearses all the promises that God had done to David. And Nabal would have heard these things, but Nabal had turned it off. And he was just thinking about Saul and power and grabbing. Are you a fool like Nabal? You might be that you're a fool like Nabal this morning. You might not be just like him, and you might... But don't quickly justify because you, you may not be a drunkard, but you might be. You might be here and you drink, and you drink a lot, and you say, well, God gives us grace and mercy. Well, you are not glorifying God with the drink that He has given you or the food that He's given you because God is not central in your heart and your life. Jesus Christ hasn't come and rescued you, even though you might have prayed a prayer. This chapter, this world is full of Nabal's Chances are, if you are a Nabal, a Nabal right, you don't even know it because you're self-deceived. And one of the graces of God in our lives is to actually break through our hearts and open our eyes and go, I'm more like Nabal than I ever thought. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, help me. This story isn't about Nabal. This isn't about, yeah, you need to repent of Nabalism. But we can't help but stop and go, man, God, give us grace. And God, would you overcome the painful marriages that are here or the painful men and women that act like this God the fool. There are mothers here that probably have Nabal-like husbands and they need God's grace. So if you're here and you hear this or you know somebody, would you so pray and would you repent of your sins and confess that you're more like Nabal than you care to admit? I hope you will see that there is hope for you in Christ. This story will actually point us to a greater character, a greater central storyline that actually can free all Nabals from their sin because that's really our story, every one of us. Every dark character in every story, it could be us apart from God's grace. And God shows the greatest grace. He doesn't end the story. It's a big deal. Nabal was judged in the story. There will come a day, there will come a day, young man or old man, young woman or old woman, where the face of the righteous anger of an almighty God will come upon and his wrath will be upon him. Repent and believe is it means that it's too late. Jesus uses services just like this to turn us to him. Then there's Abigail. Abigail is the type of woman that every female would probably want to be. She's the type of every woman that every man worth their salt would ever want to marry. Wise and beautiful. What a combination. More than that, godly. Vital, but she's godly. 1 Peter 3 talks about women that have disobedient husbands. In 1 Peter 3, those women are, are like 
Abraham's wife and some of the patriarch's wives. Not all of them were great, but some of them were godly. And the mark of them is their beauty was that they hoped in God. Their hope was in God. Not in themselves, not in their husbands, not in their children, not in this earthly life. Their hope was in God. And that hope manifested in them a type of courage in the face of frightening circumstances. I can't think of a more frightening kind of circumstance for a wife to hear, there's a guy out here with 400 swords that, that the reputation is whoever he really fights, he beats. And he's on his way down, he's mad, and he's going to kill your whole male household. Now, it could be that Abigail could have stopped and went, this is a way to get out of the middle. I'm going to just step aside. David, have on my husband. He deserves it. He doesn't do that. Instead, in courage and tact and wisdom, he thinks quickly. He's very industrious. What a woman. And she gathers a plan and puts it into place. But we see this is not a self-reliant plan. She comes and she pleads mercy, but she's continually drawing on the promises of God as she says to David, David, don't do this. Don't you remember God promised you that he'll take care of you? Abigail is courageous and decisive. And what a woman. Ladies, you can become like her. And it's found in this book and it will help. It is with the help only of God and that women like this are shaped because foundationally they learn I hope in a God of providence who works all things and even though I have a husband that is quite literally a fool like his name I have a God who is a righteous judge that I will trust a lot of times, many times the solution doesn't end with a quick resolution like in this story Abigail steps out in faith. She knows and she faces 400 angry men. Some of you in this room are Abby-like. Some of you might be called to endure and enable or somebody like that. May God give you encouragement. May God give you the faith to wait upon God, to hope in Him, to be courageous, to know when to speak and when to inter- intervene and when to act, but to hope in God and may God give you grace. And I pray that the biggest way He'll give you grace is that He'll change Nabal's and convert them into godly men that will lead in love in Jesus Christ. And I pray that for some of the men in this room, or maybe not in this room, but represented in this some of you here are unmarried. You would like to be like Abigail today. A woman who fears the Lord. Oh, may you do that. May you grow to claim His promises. May you become so beautiful and a beauty that is far beyond what Hollywood could ever display or New York or anything on any TV. It would be a beauty that comes from this kind of godliness. Then you get David. Right. David is He's a kind of a, I, I, how, do, how do you, you got Abigail, you have Mabel the fool and Abigail the beautiful and wise. David the what? I mean, hot-headed, but also quick to repent. 
David is a man after God's own heart. We've seen this already. He's a man of faith. He's a God-chosen man. He's trusted God in the past, and then at times he's failed to trust God in the past. Remember his fake insanity and gas? He's delivered by God, and he keeps going with God's gracious help. He comes off of victory. He is admirable as a shepherd protector. He knew what it was like to be a shepherd. Here he's wrapped and out of control, a man with no control of his anger. He is shamed by Nabal, and he's ready to slaughter their family. He gets pushed, and he's ready to not just push back, but to knock his head off. That's what we can do in our anger. He's just come off of a spiritual victory in chapter 4. I mean, isn't that a lesson? Have you ever had a victory where you just felt like, hey, you just had a great time. God's growing you. Things are going so well. And you fall right on your back. That's what happened with David. You see, we need grace every day. New grace. Yesterday's grace and victory is not enough. Oh, every day, God, I need your help because I can just fall lest I think I have sinned. But we see a man quick to respond to correction. David is tenderhearted when he gets confronted here by Abigail. He's both humble and proud in the story. He is quick-tempered, and he's quick to listen in the story. Later on, he'll write a psalm, and the people of Israel will sing it. But he says it's in a psalm in Psalm 141. Let a righteous man, or I should say a woman, strike me. It's a kindness. Let her rebuke me. It actually is him. But you could say, let her rebuke me. It is an oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Let my heart prayer and continually ask to let my prayer yet my prayers continually against the evil deed. His son later writes in the Proverbs a rebuke goes deeper in the man of understanding than a hundred blows of the sword. David was a godly man and he was rebuked and oh, his heart was crushed and he turned. Oh, I pray that we would all be that way when we're confronted by people with truth, even if it's not nicely done. We would listen to instruction and listen to correction. That's not the main point of the story, but it it should make us stop and pause and say, Oh, God, help me. May we listen to others and not be rash. Anger is so destructive. Pride can wreck us. Who's your favorite character in the story? Is it Nabal? I don't think so. Probably not, unless you just like the evil villain. Is it Abigail? Is it David? I actually hope that we will all say, my favorite story is the main character. Which is none of the above. The main character of the story is Yahweh. It's God. Would you please gaze with me on the ongoing faithful care of Yahweh? Oh God. Abigail knows it because when she comes to him and says, God is refusing me, please claim me, David. David confesses that he knows that it is the Lord that sent Abigail. He does it many times. He says, David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. God sent me. God sent you to me. And David heard that Nabal was dead. He said that the Lord restrained me from this evil. It was God that did this. 
He was protecting me. God is all over this passage. God is intervening. God uses an anonymous servant messenger who overhears the story. Remember, notice that in verses 14 through 17. He don't even know his name. And this little messenger goes over to Abigail. And oh, this is the hand of God caring for God's man, David. God cared about the nitty-gritty details of David's life. Sometimes he intervenes and works by saving us and rescuing us from trouble. David was in great trouble. David was even more trouble in some ways than Nabal was. He was in trouble of falling and rebelling and maybe making shipwreck of his ability to be king. And God said, no, I'm going to have grace upon you. I'm going to intervene. God uses a wife of a horrible marriage to deliver David. God is the faithful judge and an accustomed. He will be placed regularly in situations where we will be tempted to take things into our own hands. But we must remember God is judge. No, God, thank you that you are a judge that watches over us. This, this story rings with Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. And Hannah says, there is no God like our God. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. She says, the Lord kills and brings to life. The Lord makes rich. It is not by might shall a man prevail. David was going to prevail with might, and God said, no, trust me. Oh, faith first and Lyndon, put your trust in the Lord. If you have been here this morning, put your trust in the Lord. If you're here this morning, you don't know if you know this God, as to say he's your Savior, your God, your Father, the one who has made a promise and a covenant to you. This morning, God is inviting you to bow your knee and surrender to him in Jesus Christ. Repent this morning of sin, of being like Nabal. No longer be a fool, but look to God. Follow Abigail's example, men and women, and fear the Lord. Be tender-hearted like David and rebuke. And when, when rebuked by God's word and by other friends, turn to the Lord. But here's how I want to end it. David and Nabal were in a very dangerous position, both of different directions. Nabal was in a dangerous direction. And he, was, he and his sons or family were about to get slaughtered. But David was in an equally, maybe not humanly dangerous position, but he was in a spiritually dangerous position. He was about to commit murder at a large scale and mess everything up. Both were headed for disaster. And then there was no benefit. Humble servant of God stands in the way of the sword and falls down and offers to take the punishment and the guilt upon himself. Does that sound at all familiar? Let us not miss the imagery of Jesus. We were in the place of David and Nabal until someone intervened. Jesus didn't just say, on me be the guilt, and then God just relented. He said, let the guilt be upon me. And the whole almighty wrath of God came pouring upon Jesus on the cross. This Jesus restrained the wrath of an almighty God, which was far more than an angry man with 400 swords. Jesus restrained the wrath of an almighty God who was absolutely perfect and righteous, unlike David was, 
absorb that love. Jesus made it possible for us to be forgiven and cleansed and reunited to a perfect and powerful God who works all things together for good. Jesus is central in the story, even though, and Yahweh is central in the story. And this passage on Mother's Day should call us to say, I must believe and look to a God of this kind of providence, this God that His hand is in everything and He cares for me. And if you would but know this God, you bow before this God and say, I need somebody greater than Abigail to take care of my guilt and my conscience and my guilt. I need the Lord Jesus Christ who did. And He does. He did it on the cross. Would you believe Him? If you are a believer here, will you again repent and turn to the Lord today? Father, please help us this morning. We are going to respond in singing and worship. We conclude the service. Oh God, would you minister to us as we do so? Oh God, would you draw near? Oh God, would you draw near on this Mother's Day and, and, and bring salvation in Jesus' name?